my father a few years ago before he died uh, had prostate problems and it wasn't cancer but he had that thing where it got narrow and they had to drill it out oh fuck yeah similar fate awaits us all anyway we've been recording for almost a whole minute now well let's not put this on the show (laughs) welcome to (laughs) welcome to recovery in the middle ages the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads and their pursuit of life love and recovery i'm nat everybody i'm mike and uh welcome back to another exciting show and we boy have we got a show for you um (laughs) (laughs) like us on facebook rate Review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And guess what? You can follow us on uh, the Twitter machine. That's right. Yeah, there's a there's a Twitter uh, account uh, called Recovering the Middle Ages. Should I, I? It is, I think. <laughs> it, or, it, or something happened where like it's I, brand new. It's, it's brand new. It's like Recovery Ages for some reason is the name. I think we can change it. But be one of the first followers. Yes, follow us because the incomparable Aaron Moore of uh, Recovering the Middle Ages fame, our first right. guest, <laughs> is the new Twitter czar. Uh, so give her a hand and give us a follow. And, you know... Uh, what do she, they call that when you're the, when you're the one of the first members? There's uh, a name for that. Founding member. Founding member? Okay. Be a founding member. I was and, thinking um, of a fancier word that wasn't it. But okay. The truth is I don't do Twitter really that at all. And no. I don't like it. I feel assaulted by Twitter because I don't understand it the way I understand other things. <laughs> and now you, we really are uh, middle-aged recovery right here. Yes, yes. We don't was, know how to use the Twitter. I wanted this originally to be a correspondence course <laughs> where we would mail out, you yeah, know, uh, weekly, yeah, weekly uh, take courses. In. Right. Yeah. So um, what's going on with you? How was your week? My week has just been uh, one fucking thrill ride from beginning to end. Oh, yeah? No. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, work is busy. Uh, I'm actually going on a work trip next week. Yay. Yay. To <laughs> Pittsburgh. Hit that which, mini bar. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that used to be the thing. Um, but it's been weird. I, I really kind of can't wait for this election to be over because, you know, I found out that my, um, my oldest son, who, you know, we, we have perhaps more... Um, difficult relations with our oldest son than perhaps other people do. I don't, I'm trying to artfully talk around the fact that we really don't get along, but, um, I, I also found out that he is the complete, he has the complete opposite political views as me and my wife and, Mm. uh, but wants to talk about them constantly. And so I'm encouraged on the one hand, I'm really, it's the most I've talked to the kid in six months. And on the other hand, I just want to strangle him all the time. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it's anyway. just another way of getting back at you, but yeah. I yeah. Think, which I'm, you know, I'm trying to put that in, in, in place. I know. I hear you. I'm having trouble with my buddy, my, uh, my nine year old, but he's like, uh, he's a teenager early. It seems like, and, um, <laughs> I don't know, we're, we're doing our best with them. And I think kids are struggling right now. I'm sure all the other parents listening know that the kids are, you know, it's, this is like a twilight zone where they've been home all this time. And all of a sudden they've got to snap back and, you know, wake up on time and there's homework for real. Well, they're living like a dystopian novel almost, you know, putting on masks and, you know, marching in one way in the hallway and stuff. Yeah. uh, And this is all brand new and very uh, confusing. And so we're all kind of struggling and I'm struggling, uh, you know, and, um, the one thing I'm not struggling with is, uh, Drinking or doing drugs, uh, well, uh, and so I feel good about that. Before we leave the kid thing, they, they 
Sunday we're going to the scout camp. Yeah, we yeah. got a scout thing, and I, yeah. and I was shaking my fist at the air, like, why did I agree to this? <laughs> you know, because... Um, you have plenty of free time and <laughs> no, nothing to do with it's it, It's one right? of those things. It sounded like such a great idea. Yeah. I've always, to, to be... To be real, I've always wanted to do that. Yeah. Um, and here I got my big chance. Um, you know, my buddy Mike was like, I'm doing it and our kids <laughs> are friends and what the hell? There's going to be archery and BB guns. Is there really going to be? Is that a joke? Yeah. You no, kidding. no, it's archery, BB guns and slingshots. I thought you were doing That's, shtick. That is the fun part of scouting. I really thought you were it's kidding. not so much waving, you know, That's saluting an actual, the flag and stuff. <laughs> what, what, is that the, what badge is that? The Columbine uh, badge? It's just to keep kids busy who've been cooped up in the house for six yeah. Months, this you know? is such a bad idea. If you, there got, is supervision, right? It's hopefully not that's us. us? I was no, about I'm to hoping say, it's not us. That doesn't count as supervision <laughs> if it's you and me. Yeah. Well, I'm making a parent come with every kid just because um, there's weapons involved, and I don't want right. to be responsible for anyone's child shooting their eye out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are we signing an insurance waiver? Yeah, is there anything yeah. like that? I think there is a waiver. I saw that text mine, though, that you uh, said. Uh, is there a release? You know, yeah. there should be a release. Release your be. children to us can't sue if you get COVID. Right. Um, there was one thing I was debating about talking about. Um, recently, an old friend of mine, I, re- I reached out to, I thought, hey, um, he used to be in recovery. Maybe he'd find the show interesting. Plus, we know each other. And, um, you know, he's like family to me and I love him and everything. And um, But... but- <laughs> <laughs> but look, um, he also knows every little thing about me. And so, you know, it's very easy to kind of say, man, what the hell do you have to say about this? Like, it's almost like, and I don't blame him. Uh, you know, of course it annoys me because I'm like, you know, man, just like enjoy it. And, so he, um, he was impugning our professional credentials to offer well, uh, advice well, over uh, the internet? To sure. People? So initially it was, I don't think I would take advice from you. Um, various reasons for that that I'll get into. And then I was kind of like, all right, man, you know, it's, we're not like trying to be gurus here. You know, <laughs> it, it might come off that way. Someone does a podcast. You think, oh, they think they know everything, but it's really not our intention for one. Um, my idea for this podcast, and I think what we've been able to do is sort of kind of duplicate the kind of conversations you have with other people you meet, like maybe in the rooms, but outside right. of the rooms or the meeting after the meeting, the meeting after the meeting. Um, not only that, honestly, this is really just, um, when I met Mike and we started talking about this, this stuff, we started having such great conversations so naturally about it. Cause we're both just really interested in the subject and have right. experience in it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, somebody else should hear this because I think, I think there is a benefit just to having these discussions Right? Yeah, we think we're very interesting. No, I, I mean, <laughs> I'm interested. I, I don't would never classify us as gurus, but if you no. want to sell your house and your car and follow us, you can do that and just write a check and drop yes, it in the please, mail. Don't, don't show um, up at my But house. yeah, we don't know any. I mean, you know, our, the only I, thing we have is experience, right? Right. So, you and know what? Share, we're sharing that experience with you, the listener. And, right? and listen, um, I w- will never give direct advice like specific, but all I can tell you is my life right now is a thousand times better than it was, uh, let's say two years ago, two and a half years ago. Right. And the other big criticism is that, you know, maybe for some circles in quote unquote recovery, I could be considered just not sober or not clean, or as, as my buddy would say, not even in recovery. 
Um, well, why would he say something like that? So for a few different reasons, um, I'm addicted to, I'm, I'm replacing things. So some of you may know about uh, Kratom. Uh, there's been a lot of hubbub about it. Um, a lot, there's a lot of like scare stuff going on. What is Kratom? Kratom is, it's a plant. Ugh, I should have. Is it an like herb a, of some sort? It's like a plant that is closely related to the coffee plant. Ah. The deal is people have been taking it and it's one of those things that they're like, people have been taking it for thousands of years. Right. Which doesn't actually mean like much. Using the poppy for yeah, thousands exactly. of years. Yeah, exactly. Like I hate that when people it's say natural. that. It's natural. It's so natural. Yeah. But the truth is that it's, it actually binds to one of just, there's like one opiate receptor that it does bind to. And so depending on what, what you take of it, uh, it's taken as a tea, it's taken as a pill, it's... I take it as a tea. I put it in my coffee. I do one scoop in my coffee uh, every morning, and I am not uh, saying go out and do this. This is what I do. Um, and it basically, listen, I used to be on a lot of medication to stop my cravings for alcohol, a lot. And it was pretty decent. Uh, Camprol was one, and uh, naltrexone was another. Mm-hmm. And when I was on that and I was not drinking or doing drugs... I was still in recovery, wasn't I? And I would consider myself sober. Some people would not. I vehemently disagree with that. And yet I would die to protect your right to say that, sir. Well, I mean, mean, it's quality of life issue, isn't it? I mean, uh, you're taking a spoonful of Kratom. It's probably a little like what I would imagine, um, you know, CBD is. Uh, I mean, I've used CBD, so I don't have to imagine what that is. But I, I think... You know, we talked about this a little bit earlier and you yeah. drew, drew the, the parallel between the two. And I would never consider someone using CBD as uh, not in recovery, you know, or I don't know. I mean, it's not, you're not intoxicated by this it, stuff, right? No. And and then the question comes, I'll be devil's advocate against myself because I, I was diagnosed bipolar at some point. So I can do that. Um, actually, that's not what bipolar really means. No, but in any case. Dissociative personality. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Again, not a doctor. <laughs> But um, really, if it doesn't do, quote unquote, anything for me, why do it at all? The answer is, I think it does do something for me. And now I've heard some stories of people like, I'm addicted to Kratom and I can't stop doing it. But my experience with it has not been that. And I've been I've been doing like I've been taking like a teaspoon. I put it in my coffee after I drink my coffee and I drink it and that's it. And that's my day. And um it makes, I don't know. Like You're I, not like sneaking behind no, you know, the, my the wife curtain is to do on, extra Kratom at the end of no, the day? No, it's nothing like that. And when I, when, and it like kind of, I don't know, it's a little bit like a coffee and- It's legal, right? I mean, you can- It's it's 100% legal in New York. I, I don't know about every state, just the same way. I don't think CBD do, is- Can people, is there a way to abuse it if you wanted to? Like, could you- you, can you cook it up and shoot it or something? No, like, you can't shoot it. The thing with Kratom, and I'm sure someone out there has figured out a way to abuse it, but the problem with trying to abuse Kratom is um, that, like, you just get nauseous and throw up if you have a little bit too much. Yeah, it sounds like CBD, too. It's got, like, yeah, it's got a low ceiling for, like, getting... There's no, like, it's not high. You're not high. Right. If anything, if I feel like, and it could be 100% placebo, but... I don't know. It's been working for me and I haven't taken any meds, you know, since I've been doing it. 
um, since uh, you know uh, it does reduce my anxiety. I think quite a bit, mm. um, and my life is great. My wife, I'm not sneaking anything. Uh, I don't have a drink. I don't need a drink. I don't want a drug. Um, I drink my coffee. I have my teaspoon of kratom, um, and I suck on a jewel. You know, a jewel stick like yeah, it's you're the addicted devil's to shit, dick, man. <laughs> I suck that thing. So guess what? Um, am I replacing one addiction for another? That was another thing my buddy was was well, heard to maybe, say. Maybe, but but what's what's is that, wrong with that? I mean, I don't know, know. If you look at um, what is okay, wrong so with that? if you look at uh, the world of endurance sports, right? This is something I'm somewhat familiar with through running and, and so on. You know, there's um, these ultra marathon racers, and I would say a good half, if not more, of those ultra marathon racers. These are people that run races uh, longer than the traditional marathon distance, 26.2 miles. So they do 100 mile races, they do seven day races. You know, it's yeah. crazy feats of endurance, and the field of people that do this is is chock full of ex. Uh, addicts mm-hmm. and alcoholics. Sure. And why is that? Because um, because they're getting high off their own supply, right? The, <laughs> the endorphins in your head are providing the high that you used to get from, you know, the alcohol and the drugs. So, right. but nobody's pointing to those guys and saying, hey, you know, you guys are just trading one addiction for another. Well, actually people do say that, it, but they do. you know, you gotta, you gotta kind of look at them funny and say, well, would you rather I be, <laughs> you know, in an alley somewhere with a needle in my arm, you know? And I think this is the problem. Cause you have a guy who is basically being like, don't, don't say you're in recovery cause you're doing this and you're doing that. And it's like, what is that stuff? Why you're vaping? It smells it, rather nice. This is just Virginia Tobacco Jewel Five Percent. Oh, it's got like a weird smell. You want to ju- you want well, to? No, no, thank you. That's, uh, in the age of COVID, yeah. no, there is no THC in this, no, and we'll no, get no. to that actually later. Yeah, but like, okay, if if you want to, and, and listen, let me ask you, what has that kind of uh, worldview? What what has that philosophy on recovery done for you? And I'm asking all of the listeners out there, all of them, every, mm. well, all four, handful, dozens, dozens of you. What has that really actually done for you? And I'll tell you what it did for me. It made me feel really shitty about myself every time I couldn't stay sober. Every time I did have that drink, I felt like I had to start all over again. And that that feeling like you've got to be completely devoid of anything. You'd just be drinking water and eating spinach. You've got to be a monk, man. Well, like, and you know what? God bless you if that's what you can do. Well, on the flip side, though, you look, look, at, look at, I mean, that it's absurd me. because you go to AA meetings and they're chock-a-block with people who are, you know, mainline of coffee and you know, smoking like, like fiends, you know? None of those people are, are so, clean uh, to that degree. Are they I'm sober sorry. too? I mean, you know. You know, you know, they're not. Where do you draw the line? It's exactly. Ridiculous. And that that's what this is all about. We are drawing a line. And and to say that I'm not really in recovery, and if this is pissing you off that I'm telling you I'm in recovery, well, listen to me. I deal with this on a daily basis. I think about it. I write about it. I do a podcast about it. I talk about it. I am constantly thinking about how to better myself, how to be a better recovered person, how to like just be a man and do what I'm supposed to do every day of the week. And for me, that is in recovery. And I even say recovered, which will also piss off quite a few people. Well, guess what? I ain't ain't chasing the dope, man. I don't wake up looking for a shot of vodka. 
And when I'm watching my wife or a friend have a drink of wine, I am not gritting my teeth. That, my friend, is what we call being recovered. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with any of that. Um, but, I, you know, your friend did have a point. Uh, of course. And he, that's not, not about that. <laughs> he didn't have a point about that. It's okay that. to have these, these views, but don't put your shit on me. He, he uh, took, well, he, apparently, does he listen to the show? He said he did. So he's going to listen to this this one too. And look, and so I, for, to him, I would like, and to the rest of you, I would like to sincerely apologize for that annoying electric guitar effect that I used to beep out. <laughs> it was awful. I know. I'm still. It's a learning process, and I'm still working on it. Everybody so was apologize. annoyed by that. It was a jarring thing. My wife hated it. Your wife, wife hated it. I hated it, but I wouldn't want to yeah. give you a hard time because you're That's doing okay. such a great but job. I don't, but you know, if nobody tells me it's bad, I'm going to keep doing it. So, yes. uh, which is the story of my life basically. So, yeah. So you know. true. Yeah. And I'd like to say that this friend of mine, I love him like a brother and yes, I'm pissed off at you right now, but it will, it will pass like it always has. And, and uh, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Don't, you know, cause yeah, I know this. <laughs> I, he's, <laughs> he's the kid that would put a booger on my desk while the teacher wasn't looking. And then I'd look over and he'd be like, I don't know. And I'm like, dude, it was you. So, well, you know, not everybody's going to agree with your approach. No. Right? And listen, I mean, uh, all I do is I just, ca- I care about him and I care about. Don't take somebody else's inventory. No. And that's what I, I really am really trying hard not to do that. And I'm kind of like, listen, and I just want the best for you, for me. And listen, you, that's your opinion on what recovery is and however that worked out for you. I mean, God bless. I just hope that everybody out there who, who may feel the same way, okay, get what you can out of this. If it's just laughing at us being dumb addicts, making excuses for our own bullshit, then fine. Yeah, go um, for it. Anyway, enough said. Enough said. So um, we said all this stuff. I'm looking at this outline that I feverishly put together. And thank you for writing this outline because without yeah. an outline, we'd just be lost. I use the term writ large, but I, I, I like that term. That was a good one. Let me. This is meant to be a discussion of our experiences, opinions, and open-minded discussion about addiction recovery issues writ large. So the big ones. Right, right. That yeah. was that was well written. I like that. Um, <laughs> well, you, it's all that learning you're doing. I'm doing this, all the learning. Speaking of the learning, the college I go to has been shut down for COVID, so I now. <laughs> so, um, I will be. I could not resist. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I've been waiting for an excuse. I will be uh, uh, taking my classes uh, from the studio here. Um, the studio. This is the studio. Yeah. They've uh, seen a picture of the studio. Have they, they? They know what it looks oh like. Oh my goodness. This is yeah, where the fraud happens. Um, <laughs> right. saw that post. Yeah. <laughs> Someone, I don't know. That guy no. took a wrong turn. Yes, he did. Yeah. So the next thing on our list, um, Mr. Mike, is... The pink cloud. The pink cloud. Yeah. Tell pink me cloud. about Everybody it. know what the pink cloud is? What is the pink cloud? I, put, I wrote it on the, the... You're not even looking at the outline. No, because I printed a little article. Okay, so. you'll read your article well, then. It's a... It's a yeah. <laughs> All right. It is a phrase that's used to describe feelings of elation and euphoria in early sobriety. Um, it's interesting. The pink cloud is was elusive for me this time around. Yeah. Uh, I've had it before, though, where you remove all of that uh, mental cloudiness 
and you're left with yourself and all of a sudden uh, you, there's been a few days that you're not drinking and you see the endless possibilities of a life without whatever substance you happen to be abusing. And it just, I, I think there's some kind of biochemical basis for it personally. I'm sure there is. Um, because your your blood is actually flowing without any extras in it. Mm-hmm. And it's giving your brain a chance to sort of, um, well, hope, you know, look at the future, uh, see things to do in the future. And, and, uh, and that can be pretty intoxicating in and of itself. Now, did you experience with your non-program going ass, did you have, um, did you get a pink cloud? Not this time. So I, have you, the, I have it other times I've quit for, for periods of time. I've So tell me about that. Was that when you were doing AA or was this just, hey, I've got two weeks and I feel um, like I'm a man, a yeah, mensch? Yeah, probably both. Yeah. The, the AA thing was weird because that was after a particularly bad bender. Um, right. So I didn't have a pink cloud so much as just abject terror. Uh, yeah. the first few weeks, but other times when I've quit, I, and, and it's stuck for longer than a week or two, I've, I've definitely gotten, um, a burst of energy, burst of good feelings. And, but so I was, um, I was surprised when it didn't show up this time, mm. uh, because I was expecting it. But I was like, a Oh, good goody, sign, a pink cloud is <laughs> coming. I will be able, I will be happy and, and not depressed yeah. and, you know, full of life and energy and plans for the future. But um, I had done enough reading about the pink cloud to realize that it sometimes it doesn't come. And people that don't get it sometimes get horribly depressed and disappointed because they're like, wait, I quit drinking for this. I still feel like shit. Yeah. And I felt like shit for three months physically and mentally. I felt like shit for sure. three months. Um, and that only then did things start to turn around. But I definitely did. Lately, I've been feeling. Mm-hmm. Pink cloudy. That's because of me. Because you and me. <laughs> this is this is the pink cloud from doing the well, podcast. I mean, I think something changes after a year. I think. Yeah. I think after a year, sure. All the lear- you've gone through everything once, right? You've gone through every holiday. You've gone through like learning how to not uh, drink around people. How I to feel behave. bad. I didn't do a cake for you. That really, I, <laughs> you I, didn't I, get I don't a need. Coin? I don't you didn't need get cake. a cake. It's okay. I was going to order my own coin, but they all had AA stuff on them. Oh, and I, I was like, I don't want an AA. There coin. are ones you can get without the AA. I'll find one. I, don't know. I was on Etsy. I was looking around. You, you couldn't find one. I couldn't find. one. I know where to get them. I have a guy. <laughs> I, I know the coins. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, also the the talismans are a little weird for me because I hate carrying those things around <laughs> and then feeling like. <laughs> You know, because then, then what happens? Look like Flavor Flav wearing his gigantic talisman. Well, um, the funny thing is, somebody was walking on the beach. Uh, yes, uh, yes, I'm gonna, to, I'm, gonna to, I'm gonna have to bleep that out. When you bleep this out, no heavy metal. It's gonna guitar. be cellos this time. Just no, like beep. That's what we. Yeah. You know, well, how am I supposed to find a beep? I don't know. I've got all these instruments, the MIDI instruments in GarageBand, <laughs> and none of them sound like a beep. So anyway, so someone Just was walking the on the I beach did. in our in our town yeah. and found uh, what was it? It was like a couple of um, tokens. Yes, year to- it was like a year to- a token and something <laughs> like cast aside on the beach. And um, and I remember thinking, man, there's there's a story there. Yeah, <laughs> some somebody had a had a somebody. I was thinking about commenting, and yeah. I'm like, boop. Yep. Yeah. I, <laughs> I just, comment. I left that one alone. But, you know, I feel, I, hopefully that person, you know, is okay, but uh, yeah, they probably are doing great right but, now. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the, um, the token makes me nervous carrying it around. Any oh, concrete, you can, any concrete sign of, of progress makes me nervous. Yeah. You, know? you should see, you know, what I wanted to do on our first episode, which I did not do, um, was I have a bag of coins I've collected in various <laughs> rooms, right. like a bag. I used to, I have a little, I don't know where I got this bag. It's this cute little, 
like a leather little oh, hippie satchel. Pack. Yes. Yeah, keep your patchouli in there. Yeah. I, I got it and I have, I have to have 35 <laughs> AA coins and uh, I wanted to like, year. It's, exactly. <laughs> I wanted to like take it out on, on, on the microphone so you could hear them all like hit the table. <laughs> and it's funny cause it tells the story of my time in AA. It's like how many different one month coins, how many different like 24 hour coins. I had a few at like six months, nine months. Um, you know, I got my, there was, I don't know if there was a year in there or not, but it's just funny. It's just like, yeah. it's just, uh, exemplifies my failure in the AA programs. Hey, I mean, I just, I feel like picking up on the thread I dropped, um, yeah. after a year, you're kind of more balanced, right? Yeah. And things that, uh, did you point at the board for a reason? Yeah. Aren't there usually, doesn't usually say how long we're on? Uh, no, up here. Oh, okay. Yeah. This is great show. Great show. <laughs> um, you know, and, and so like you become, I, I personally, after a year, I found my, find myself becoming more hopeful and more looking towards the future and stuff and yeah. getting excited about doing things like going to the Boy Scout thing, yeah. you know, like, whereas in the beginning days, it was just like, everything was a chore. And, sure. But, um, but people do have the pink cloud and, and, uh, you know, it lasts, some people it lasts for days, some people for weeks, but uh, its duration de- depends entirely on the person and their own personal experience in recovery. Now. Right? Yes. But it's yes. dangerous, the pink cloud, I've been told. Is it dangerous? Okay, go it on. It is. <laughs> it is indeed dangerous. Go on. It can create unrealistic expectations about your life in recovery. It's usually when you meet a girl and um, decide to marry them. <laughs> in the rooms? In the rooms. Yeah. Marriage made in heaven. We're going to get through this together. Right. Yeah. Sad. And, and they don't yeah, do no. that. Nobody. Usually. Yeah. It happens. I mean, it it's happens. not a good, it's probably not a good idea. It is not a good idea, but it does happen and God bless them. Right. Yeah. But, you know, um, but if, if it makes you think that sobriety is going to be easy, the pink cloud, you know, like this is a cakewalk. I got it. All I, I gotta got to do now this. is I'm going to go re-register for school. I'm going to take up this hobby. I'm going to start doing this other thing. And then I'm going to become a drug counselor. Yeah. Don't right? drink and That's go to it. meetings. The, <laughs> you got it. There's the, uh, the end game. But when that doesn't happen, then, you know, and your pink and your pink cloud disappears and you sink into the, well, it's life on life terms. This right. is typically what you'll hear. Um, when, when you're in that kind of situation, um, well, yeah. and the danger of relapse, right? Because the danger it creates of rel- a false sense of security. And, and then, and then you relapse and you're like, oh my God, my whole identity, mm-hmm. it's gone. I'm fucked. I'm back to square one. And then you have to do the walk of shame. You go back to your meeting where you were. And that's where a lot of people just never go back. Right. That's where they go die. Right. Um, they're a number one Duke of New York. And then all of a sudden, Duke of New York. <laughs> all of a sudden they've got to take a shame chip. The shame chip. You got to walk up, do the walk of shame. Is there actually a shame chip? It is a shame chip. They don't call it a shame chip, but I'm actually, I should make a shame chip. That's amazing. You fucked yeah. up. <laughs> you fucked up. You suck. <laughs> Way to suck. Um, and then you walk up and you grab your shame chip or your, it's uh, a it's 24 hour, day, hour 24 hour, right? You come up and when some people come up to grab it or the, or the white key tag and NA. And everyone gets a big hug and they try and be like, cool. But you know, Meanwhile, people are like, lording it over you. <laughs> yeah, man. Like start your day count over again, yep, yep. back to square one, yeah. dumbass. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and that's how it feels. And so how scientific <laughs> the approach to addiction and recovery in America is. I know. And it's a good thing courts are mandating these things. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> 
So then you go from way up high to now you are at the bottom of the barrel and everybody's looking at you sideways and what oh you know who you've been hanging out with and they start taking your inventory right, right. who you hanging out with you know they're not being judgmental but they're saying stick with the winners. What percentage of people do you think survive the first ninety days of um, sobriety? Survive meaning they stay. meaning they they stay sober. For 90 days. Like, I'm, not many, man. It's not many. I remember reading the, the figure. I don't remember what it was. It was something... It's like 5%. 5% yeah. or 10%. 5% yeah. is this, the studies, and I've seen different numbers, but it never approaches more than 10% from what I've seen. Uh, I mean, that's just that's just the AA stat, right? No, the AA stat is never has a person who right. has gone through <laughs> the lengths. I forget what the exact verbiage is. Have we seen? Have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path? Right, but when your path is don't drink, right? Of course, and then you're getting mad at somebody for for being an alcoholic and doing what they're supposed to do, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's like you drank. Yeah. Ah. But I mean, it's damn you. I mean, AA success rate is uh, anecdotally, or because it's hard to study, around five percent, right? But I wonder if you put all the other people in who quit outside of AA, which is eighty percent of the people that stop drinking on their own, right. do it outside of a program. What percentage of those people are able to stop? on their own in the first 90 days. I'd say about 90% of those people don't ever want to see a, a fucking person in recovery again for the rest of their life. Yeah. You know, a lot of the feeling I had, feelings I had when I felt like, hey, I finally grew up. I don't need to do this anymore. And guess what? I'm not at a meeting and I'm not calling my sponsor. And wow, how is this possible? My first thought was I never, ever... Want to see these fucking people. I'm cursing a lot on the show. I'm, I'm like hyped up today. I apologize. I never want to see these people again. And I have to Made a lot of friends in the program, did you? The friends I met in the last four years were, well, where did I get the dope that killed me? Hmm? Was it through the through somebody you knew from the program? A hundred percent. that's the... That, a hundred percent. That was the issue I but always had with my, AA is like people I would end up going out drinking with were yeah. people from the program. And when I said that to my therapist once, um, I said, you know, I wouldn't have met these people if it weren't for this place. Yeah. And she was like, oh, you what? can't say that. No, because guess what? <laughs> you, that's on you. And they would say to me, and I said, well, yes, it is on me, but. True. Personal but accountability. Absolutely. In my life today, um, not being in the rooms, not being in an outpatient, not being in an inpatient not working in the field, the people I hang out with, quote unquote, because I don't really hang out, mm -hmm. um, you, right? okay, um, my family, mm -hmm. we're going to a Cub Scout meeting, <laughs> the deacons meeting at the right. church. That's because we're also, we're old and, and we have no social lives. Right. So <laughs> I'm not meeting people who are after I meet with the deacons at the church. They're not like, hey man, I got some blues I'm trying to get rid of. <laughs> right. Right? Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, um, I do know what you mean, 100%. So, yes, it's my fault because I'm an addict and I can't control myself. But, no, I wouldn't be around those people, quote, unquote. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have done that. That was bad. No, it's just, it is weird that the, the, the cure for something that is so... Um fraught in that way is to hang out with a whole bunch of other people who are struggling with the exact same thing. And which is fine if everybody's on the same page with respect to um, sure, but they're not. wanting to get well, they're <laughs> but really not, but, yeah, but people have their own struggles, man. And, yeah. and, and if, you know, and look, I get it. I like to be around, you know, the, the Facebook groups that I'm on and the people I've met at a distance, you know, cause everything's at a distance now. So I'm, I'm getting some cool people that I've met on the Excuse me, like recovery-based Facebook groups, yeah. right? Yeah, because people that you know from Tennessee, or you can't go yeah. out and score with them 
like after you talk to them, they're not FedExing me meth, you know. Um, I'm gonna go on the dark web for that. Right, right. I'll post a link in the show notes. (laughs) Where is this dark web you speak of? How do we get there? Um, Yeah. So, um, having said that, recovery community is 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 also very important, and it means a lot to a lot of people. And there are a lot of people. Recovery community. I think we need a new recovery community that's based on something other than shame. Yeah. Shame and failure. Shame, failure, and and finger shaking. And you are addicted to nicotine. You are just replacing that. Did you get that sense though that that's that, what? that's the predominant feeling is that you're, you're being shamed? Uh, yes, I feel yes. like there's a lot of shame going on. Not about the nicotine because everybody smokes, but overall, yes, it's a shame model. I think if you're willing to go, so you have to go in there and <laughs> I really, I hate that we're slaughtering the program. No, again. I don't. But it, but it's like um, if as long as you go in there sufficiently contrite and willing to self debase yourself. Yes. Um, it's fine. Everybody treats you lovely. <laughs> yes. Know? Um, but if, but if that, you know, and, well, and, and, and it's very cult like in that if you're not willing to do that, um, you know, you have some sort of problem that needs to be excised from yourself. Yes. You know? So, um, and listen, a lot of people need to have, like we were talking to Aaron about, um, what, that, uh, therapy she did in the nineties that, it's oh, yeah. like confrontational. Right. And I, I've seen interviews with people. There was a, uh, the last house it's called or the last house on the left. And mm-hmm. it was the last house. It's all about Synanon. Right. And there were people who graduated there who like, you know, they, they thought that was what they needed mm-hmm. and they've had a great life yeah. since. And so I think that just goes along with, with that theory that what we say is that there are so many ways a person can recover and make their lives better. And that, I think, is where we bring in what harm reduction is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, that's what harm reduction, and, and we wanted to talk a little bit about harm reduction um, because I think that's kind of where we're going. That is the big picture, the, what do you call that, the 1,000-foot view or the 10,000-foot view? Yeah, 10,000, 1,000. You stand up and you look at everything because um, I heard a really great interview with one of my favorite um, authors and advocates. It was on Rehab Confidential, and her name is, I didn't write it down. Oh, man. She was in the documentary called Black Tar Heroin in the 90s. Um, Missed that one. Yeah. That's what got Jerry Garcia. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> um, anyway, it was great. And she's very, very uh, into um, uh, harm reduction and she does needle exchanges. What do we mean by harm reduction? Um, right. So harm reduction. And I actually typed this out. So uh, harm reduction. And this is from uh, HRI.global, the Harm Reduction International. It's a European site. And it's harm reduction refers to policies, programs, and practices that aim to minimize negative health, social, and legal impacts associated with drug use, drug policies, and drug laws. Harm reduction is grounded in justice and human rights. It focuses on positive change and working on, sorry, working with people without judgment, coercion, discrimination, or requiring that they can, that they stop using drugs as a precondition of support. Yes. Um, so uh, harm reduction encompasses a range of health and social services. All right. So that was just part one of this very long thing that I'm reading. My mother is blowing up my phone right now. And um, hopefully no one was in an accident, but I really don't want to stop the show. Um, <laughs> so um, uh, really. Do you want to? 
Find out what your mother How about this? <laughs> if she calls me a fourth time, okay, I will assume someone's in the hospital. All right. If not, oh, she, oh, oh here's a voicemail. All right. Wait. Hold on. No, I'm just going to, should I pause it? No. Okay. Hold on. Sounds like she's with my brother. Hello? Yeah. Hi. Okay, guys. Another 20 minutes. All right. I think we're, we're back. And um, harm reduction can be like uh, needle exchanges or something that that particular author was um, was talking about. Uh, needle exchanges, safe injection sites, which are very popular in um, <laughs> very popular it's, in Canada. They're in the, they're in the, the uh, Lonely Planet Guide to Europe. In <laughs> fact, people visit them. You didn't right, let me right finish. Next to the Taj Mahal. Canada, right. Canada is is making famous the um, injection sites that are safe. Uh, I mean, what do you think about uh, that? Just, just about that right safe there. Safe injection sites. Safe, in- so those I are think just it's a fantastic idea. It's a small part of uh, harm reduction, but, but I, but I think absent like a larger, um, uh, what would you call it? Like changing, changing policy on a larger scale. Uh, it's helpful, but it's just a small piece of it. That was really inartfully said, but um, what <laughs> I'm trying to say is, I, if there's not a larger social movement to change attitudes around addiction, right. um, needle exchanges are a good first step. But I don't think you know they they are a huge step. It's not a huge step, and it's also not the only part of what harm reduction is. We were discussing this a little bit earlier, and um, I, I mean, really I, want- I like. I'm sorry. I'm just. Go on. I like the. Um, I was hearing something about these drug consumption rooms that they also have in, in Amsterdam, well, places like that, um, where they actually will, they'll, they'll prov- well, they provide you with clean, like a clean pipe to smoke your crack out of and stuff. That's wonderful. And, uh, you know, a private area to do it. And, um, uh, but also access to health services and counseling, you know, should should you want it. Um, right. Which I think is, it's, it's a point of contact. And by the way, Tracy Helton, uh, she was the author of a book called The Big Fix. She's great. What a great book. And um, she's uh, a big, you know, proponent of that. And she, she's coming on the show. She, uh, Tracy Helton? Sure. Yes. Let's just send her an email. Bet you I could get her. Yeah. She she seems like someone who, who will go like, you know, anywhere just to talk about this kind of thing. She's really great. Great. Um, and she was on with Amy Dresner and Andrew Schrank on uh, Rehab Confidential, which is a great show. Love Amy Dresner. And uh, hopefully I can get her on at some point. Yeah. Um, but, you know, harm reduction doesn't just stop at the, those two extremely controversial things. Uh, uh, things, you know, um, you, it's also, I'd say MAT medication assisted treatment, I think is considered harm reduction. Hmm. Is that, that's interesting that that's put under that same penumbra because I would think penumbra? it's a <laughs> legal term. Yes. Uh, I love it. <laughs> I mean, harm reduction's a big tent, isn't it? It encompasses sure. just about everything. Let uh, me spin how we would put MAT in harm reduction. So if you get a guy who's shooting uh, heroin every day, he's filling up his syringe with puddle water or toilet water. He's shooting with a needle he's used a hundred times. Okay. And you take that guy and he gets into a methadone clinic that is also a program because you can't just go grab methadone. um, From what I understand and the people I've known that are in um, methadone programs that they, they do some treatment too. Uh, so what you do is you start and it, and if you can take the methadone uh, and also not continue to shoot heroin, it reduces your chances of dying from an overdose. Right. So harm reduction. And it puts you in a spot where 
you're a captive audience for people who are trying to uh, bring you on board with getting your life together and getting into recovery. So that is harm reduction. So, well, well let me ask you this, because I see, you know, I used to live down in the Lower East Side in New York and right around the corner from a methadone maintenance clinic. Right. And there were people there who, you know, they'd line up at the beginning of the day. And I don't know why they have to make it such a kind of humiliating uh, process for people to get their methadone. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if that's still done, uh, but it was certainly done in the 80s and the 90s. Uh, but some of those folks look like they didn't really have their lives together and uh, look like they've been waiting on that line for for years, for decades even. Yeah. And, um, you know, is there just methadone maintenance? Does that just go on into infinity. I mean, in an ideal world, you have people, you have a, um, a social work component that goes along with that, but I didn't see any of that. Uh, it was just people lining up, they get the liquid in the cup, they, you know, p- put it back and yeah, well, never mind why I was hanging around the methadone maintenance clinic. That's well, you know, that's part of the problem. People frequently record a method, refer to methadone as liquid handcuffs because yeah, you've got right. to go back every day. Um, and um, and you're stuck. You've got to do it. But, you know, that's what buprenorphine was for, Suboxone. Um, right, but Suboxone, for, there was an end date, right? To not the necessarily. I no. mean, like initially. Is it your choice as, as, the, as the recovering addict? Is it your choice to get off it or stay on it? Or is it somebody it, else making that choice for you? Well, it's supposed to be the choice of your doctor who you're supposed to be closely, you know, doing your treatment with. I mean, is that the case every time? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, but some doctors, because there hasn't been studied long-term side effects, I'm sure there probably are, but, um, my doctors told me, you know, you know, we'd like, they, they asked me like, what do you want out of your life? Do you want to be, um, do you want to be stuck, uh, doing this? You know, like what, what were my goals? So they asked me what my goals were. Um, and, uh, and I said, I wanted to get off of this. I really didn't want to be on it, but I was also not being like the addict being their own doctor saying, I don't want to be on anything because I'm not clean. And then blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I was yeah. like, doc, when I finally, like, I was like, you tell me like, wh- what is recommended? Um, you know, and, and then they told me and I went along with the recommendations. It ended up being, I think a year and a half, which was, I don't like, know. That was the length of the taper. Like my, my taper was six months. Wow. So I was on it solidly for a year. I'm probably misremembering the exact dates, but it was about that. And, uh, when I finally did get to the bottom of my taper, I was mentally in a place where I could, uh, or, you know, mentally because I had been going to therapy and because I was taking the buprenorphine, I was able to focus on my treatment. I was mm-hmm. able to focus on, you know, what my therapist was saying and the books I was reading. Well, I guess that's, that's, I mean, we're drifting a little off the subject of, uh, of harm reduction into, into like, um, well, I guess it's the same thing, but, um, if you're taking methadone or, or buprenorphine, do you really have the clarity of mind to work on some of your underlying issues with, with yes. in, in therapy? You know, I mean, maybe with buprenorphine, cause I don't really know enough about it, but some yeah. folks on methadone don't look like they're really, you know, checking in. Yeah. You know, okay. To- no, so that's a fair point. And my, my answer to that is, um, you are in a better shape to, to get therapy 
and to get recovery than you are if you are oh, chasing yeah, the absolutely. dope man, right? Or if you're coming in after two days on a meth binge or mm-hmm. whatever it is. Not that Suboxone can help you with meth, but just the point is like you're stabilized. And so that's that's the point. You get stabilized where you can hear anything right. at all, where you can actually show up every day or whenever it is to see your um, your therapist and meet with your groups and yes, it's not ideal. Like the number one, the number one um, point is to get you stabilized. Now, yes, everybody, you know, ideally need would love to be off of something so sedating um, right. as methadone, as you know, uh, buprenorphine. But the bottom line is, those people aren't dying of overdoses. So. As far as harm reduction goes, um, it's well, great. They're not dying. Is methadone considered a um, an older uh, drug? As far as those drugs are classified, like is buprenorphine the gold standard now, and methadone is just well, you know, I've I've heard different different points of view on that. Buprenorphine is seen as like the 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 rich guy's methadone because. Um, it's it's more expensive. It's harder to get because you need the right. Even my insurance, I had to get. I couldn't even get the brand name Suboxone anymore. But methadone right. is the poor guys. The United like, States healthcare system intrudes yeah. into yet again into getting on, people well. Right, and on top of that, there's a black market for Suboxone. Right, um, and I, the the reason is because people don't want to get sick, and if they can get Suboxone while they're waiting for their dope, yeah, yeah, they yeah. take that. So that it's not really because it like gets them high; it'll it, it stops you from being sick, you know. So you can, um, you know, hang out while you wait for your dope, man. So you know that's an, that's one issue with it, but I it certainly doesn't seem like a significant enough issue for people to be um, telling you that you're not in. Re- recovery because you're taking suboxone i feel like you're in recovery if you're you're trying to make your life better and you're trying to put yourself in a spot where you're not destroying yourself yeah i don't really understand the social the larger social negativity that's that's directed towards um towards needle exchanges and things like that it it, it makes no sense to me because you you know they say they don't want to encourage people like it's somehow going to help in uh, but it's never that but punitive measures um, you know, like increased incarceration, things like that have never worked to, yeah. to stop people from doing drugs. And like, listen, if you're waiting to to take advice from someone in recovery who's 100% free of freaking like everything you can think of, you're going to, don't hold your breath because they don't exist. You know, learn from people's experience. And I've learned more from people in the rooms, let's say, or in therapy that had two days clean, sober, or even on MAT, but were in the rooms telling their stories. Right. Learn more from them sometimes than guys with 30 years, mm. you know. As long so, as they didn't drag you out afterwards. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you can learn from just about everybody's experience if you're, if you have an open mind and you're not a, f- and a bad person. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, holding back, but um, I mean know, the other, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you're remiss to tell if you don't mention the the idea of legalizing marijuana. I was just get you read my mind. <laughs> I, I have to apologize. I've been a little distracted with people that are calling me, and I, I'm trying to figure out why. And then, so I'm sorry, and hopefully we don't have to do too much editing. Or when I say we, I mean Mike. That's fine. Um, so what I was about to say was. Um, so the next kind of part of harm reduction and that I actually have a little bit of issues with is the marijuana thing. And how can I, someone who takes Kratom, 
uh, every day for my anxiety or whatever you want to say. Like, how can I talk any kind of crap about marijuana? But I still, for some reason, like it, it, it makes me crazy for some reason. But uh, <laughs> if you can smoke marijuana and that stops you from doing dope and doing coke and doing whatever. That's the definition of harm reduction. Well, I think you're right, but I don't <laughs> want to agree with that. I want to be conservative guy all of a sudden, <laughs> being a total hypocrite and say, no, that's too far, coffee, sir. Coffee, yes. Too far. Uh, uh, nicotine, yes. Kratom, yes. Marijuana, no. Just want to- <laughs> yes, that's okay. what I'm saying. No, well, but listen. Well, marijuana is clearly more psychoactive than any of those other substances, right? It is true. Uh, um, I think so. I mean, I think there's a lot of misinformation about kratom. And just to be clear, before I ever tried it once, I watched a couple documentaries on it. I did some reading. <laughs> I did the same yeah. thing with Coke. Did you? I've done, I've done that too. But I did do a little bit of research before I, I took the plunge and tried to see if I could get off of the, uh, the pills I was taking from the doctor. Um, ultimately it worked. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, I, with my recovery program, so based in, in groups on uh, Reddit and so on and Facebook, there's, there's people going two different directions, like the stop drinking subreddit on Facebook. So many of the people there have used marijuana to stop drinking and Many of them, the marijuana use just fell away after a certain amount of time sober with drinking. That's anecdotal experience. Fine. I look over to a Facebook group. There's a group called the Wharf Rats who are the Grateful Dead sober (laughs) people. I love that story. They are pretty much by the book. um, No, any substance is... um, Right. is not sobriety, but, and, and they do that. And that seems to work for the majority of them. So, um, you know, in the spirit of, of us not condemning any one particular vehicle to recover, um, you know, I, I, I can't say that the people that use pot to quit drinking are any worse off than the people that use, uh, um, uh, abstinence. I mean, personally, I, I can't imagine smoking pot now. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, I don't see the, probably because I enjoy sobriety. Right. Like I actually enjoy not being clouded. Right. Yeah. But, and I'm with you. And, and, but, but I think there's some people that need something in the early days yeah. to take the edge off. Agreed. You know, and pot is not addictive, not physically addictive. And it, and it may or may not be psychologically. I, we've all, we both know people that have Sure. I'm smoking pot for 35 years and I'll say they're not addicted, right? Yeah. But they're that, like zombies. You know, yeah. Uh, um, right. So I don't know. I, I, I'm not going to condemn somebody for using marijuana if it gets them to stop using something that's far more harmful. Yes. Okay. I mean, I can't disagree with you. Um, maybe my reluctance is because it's personal to me in that I know that for me, marijuana would be not a good thing. Yeah. I, I were like, I have a pretty good idea. I could be wrong because I haven't smoked weed in a thousand years and maybe there's strains now and microdosing and that's another thing I want to talk about at some point. But maybe there's something I don't know about it, but I have a fear of marijuana just because of the way I remember it uh, in my life. But, you know, but you're right. As usual, you're right in that it is, it, it can be positive and that is what harm reduction is. And, and I was saying this to my wife, whom I love and is cool. She's, she's awesome. And she's cool. And so yeah. is Aaron. Yeah, Your wife, she's great. Too. Very cool. Yeah. And um, 
I was saying that like for me, if you were drinking three beers a day uh, every week and next week you drink one beer every other day, I feel like that's success. Maybe it's not the end goal. You're not end goal successful, you know, I don't think. But that is progress, not perfection. Right. And I think but that people who even, drink like that probably don't have a problem. Maybe. I don't know. What? But no. then we go one, back to Annie one, Grace. One Doesn't beer, everybody have a problem well, who's one, drinking that much? I don't know. One beer, <laughs> one beer every week. I mean, well, I'm going to put that in the camp of not having a problem. Probably. But what if that day comes at Sunday and you have that beer every week and you begin to get anxious and you start thinking about that beer and all week you think about the beer you have on Sunday. Yeah. And then what happens if you don't get that beer and how does that change you? And is that a form of addiction? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. But Probably not what we're thinking of. When we're talking about addicts, I think we but, all know what we're talking but about I th- here. I think people that... That's have, more of a thought experiment. People that... Nobody who's researching, do I have a problem with alcohol, does not have a problem with alcohol, right? If you're Googling, do I have a drink problem? The answer is always yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. If you ever... <laughs> yeah. Here, here's... Here's here's how if you if you are taking a an online quiz, yeah, right. am I an and if alcoholic? If you keep taking it over and over and hoping to get a slightly different result, yeah, chances are your score does not indicate whether or not it's the fact that you're taking it right. um, that makes you an alcoholic. Um, and again, just just to wrap this up, I feel like we're we're doing good on time. Fifty three, fifty three. So you're an alcoholic when you say you are, and you are in recovery, my friend. When you say you are. Good. Right? Yep. Got it. I'm on it. Um, Perfect. I don't really feel like we did the, the greatest with that, but, you know, we, we could talk about this a lot more. I'd love to have a We're guest on about week, it. Though. We're here every we week. We have to fill an hour every single week. So and it's going to be more we'll than an it. hour this week because we've got Mike's New Jack City story as this episode three. stories because you know, we're talking about let's pot, do it so well they're short and they all tie in together perfect so, um so go back to the summer of 1986 which is uh, a lovely time indeed for the bronx uh i was working at the bronx zoo in the summer of 1986 <laughs> driving the safari tour train yes was we heard about and those of you who have been to the bronx zoo um Recently, probably don't recall the glory days when driving the safari tour train, you would actually get a tour. Now they call it the tour train, but they just transport you from one side of the park to the other, and it's not as much fun. They just wait for the giraffe to French kiss you. Maybe. Does that happen? <laughs> I've seen, I feel like I've seen <laughs> those videos. All right, go on. I don't know. It might happen after dark there. <laughs> but um, anyway, wow. Okay, so... <laughs> I'm just not going to say anything. All right. I'm getting Any, back up. Anyway, um, so I used to, um, so I drove the tour train. I drove it a couple times on acid, but that's, that's another story. Um, so it was, the Bronx Zoo was located in a part of the Bronx that is not considered like the best part of the Bronx. Um, and there's lots of um, drugs available right outside the gates of the zoo, uh, if you, or there were in 1986 anyway. It was the first summer I was living on my uh, on my own. I, I had... Staggered through a semester at, at uh, Fordham, got myself my 0.0 average, uh, failed every class, and uh, but then got a job and decided I would sublet a friend's apartment, which I did. Um, so on the um, 
on the lunch breaks, my friend and I, who I drove the train with, there was one guy in the front, one guy in the back. Uh, we'd just go back to my apartment and rip bong hits and uh, and eat uh, deli sandwiches. So uh, that's just kind of how that summer went. But uh, one day I had I'd run out of some weed and a different friend of mine. We were sitting around and we knew a spot up up on Cortona Avenue. You would you would go up there, and it was a bit of a long walk. You put your money through the through the keyhole, and <laughs> uh, it was like a fake keyhole. And then a, a nickel bag would come. They, they one of the few places that sold nickel bags. Um, because the other place to buy weed was up where the crack was, but that was way too far to walk uh, all the way up to that other neighborhood. And you really didn't want to drive up there either. Mm. I mentioned the Rastas a couple times, and, and that was such a, a pleasant weed buying experience. <laughs> because um, They're very spiritual. It was four row houses. They looked like Philadelphia-type row houses mm-hmm. with uh, a front um, porch. And these Rastas, like eight or ten of them would just hang out on the front porch blasting reggae and they all sold weed but they all sold like slightly different weed like and they would always try to compete for your business when you came up you right. know you little, you little white kid you're marching up the block and the Ross is like hey Mon, come on buy my weed it's <laughs> hey, good Mon. stuff so uh, but we didn't we couldn't go there if we were by the zoo so <laughs> my friend and I we got in his car and because Cortona was too long a walk too and we drove down there and I got out and I go up the stairs and I go in there and I put the money through the hole. The guy puts the nickel bag in my hand. I walk out of the front door and out of the corner of my eye, I see the cops. There's a cop car across the street, but I don't see any cops in it. And as I'm looking around for the cop, I feel this vice grip hand on my left wrist. And I look over and it's it's this cop. It's African-American cop. And he goes, open your hand. And I'm <laughs> like, oh. I open the hand and there's the nickel bag. Right. You know? and he goes, all right up against the wall he puts me up on the wall pats me down my friend who's sitting in the car idling out front takes off like a shot and he goes we got his plate we'll get him later yeah. and um although he didn't do anything and that ended up being an empty threat but so he puts me in handcuffs throws me in the cop car and drives me down to the 48 which is um way in the south bronx it's uh you know, it's like a little fortress island in the middle of anarchy you know? <laughs> and handcuffs me to a table and lets me sit there for like two hours. Uh. And I'm thinking, oh, fuck, you know, um, and right outside of that area is the holding cell. And there were some really messed up characters in that holding cell. And the cop and his partner come over and they're like, you know, what, you know, what would happen if you put five dollars in and you didn't get any weed back? And I was like, I'd call the cops. And they, <laughs> and they did not think that was funny. They didn't think it was. <laughs> but they're like, all right, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna give you a choice. You can either use this phone, call your parents, and tell them where you are, and let me speak to them, or uh, I'm gonna put you in that cell back there with those guys. Oh. So I was like, fuck, you know, and here I am all of 19 years old thinking I'm like, you know, an adult. Right. So easy choice. Pick up the phone, call my dad. The cop talks to my dad. I don't know what was said, but it was not good. And um, so they write me a disappearance ticket or a desk appearance ticket, as they call it. Right. And uh, they let me go. And I'm like, "Um, guys, can I get a can I get a ride back up? They're (laughs) like, get get the fuck out of here. So. so I had no way of, and this is before, there's no cell phones, there's nothing. So I had to walk through the South Bronx oh. all the way from the 4-8 precinct back up to the Fort Mary. Wow. And that was a very scary walk. So I'm just going to leave, I'll leave the story there. Let's, let's just, <laughs> oh, and, oh, the postscript to that. Postscript. Postscript to that is uh, I had to go to court uh, to answer the charge. Oh my God. Uh, I 
bought a suit at the Salvation Army, a white suit, put it on, went down to the courthouse at 161st Street, um, went in there, they, they assessed a $20 fine, Nice. Uh, paid the fine, walked out, there's a park across the street, and one of the other guys who had... Um, it's funny you were talking about meeting meeting people in recovery and right. then going out with them. One of the guys um, who had gotten convicted of the same thing just ahead of me uh, was sitting in the park and he saw me walk out. He goes, "Hey, hey, want to smoke a joint?" I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah of course so I do." Sat there and roasted one across the street from the courthouse. <laughs> Misadventures of a wayward youth. Nice. Anyway, that's it. Uh, that's a good one. <laughs> good times. Good times, great oldies. Um, okay, so n- moving on. We have recovery in the news? Yes, we do. Yes. It's recovery in the news. Recovery in the news. Recovery in the news. I like to hear you play, play this riff on the guitar. Anyway. Yeah, I can figure that one out. So today, uh, we have an article from, I don't know, what is this? political report it says but i thought it was the oregonian anyway that's the one you sent me yeah yeah so uh the title of the article is oregon could become the first state to decriminalize drugs in november yeah so there's there's (laughs) be a a harm reduction talk about harm reduction (laughs) there's a ballot initiative that would decriminalize low-level drug possession and fund addiction treatment and that includes all drugs cocaine heroin methamphetamine uh would become decriminalized and possession of small personal amounts of the drugs uh, weighing between a gram or two, depending on the substance, would be uh, not legal, but decriminalized. Um, and it would, if you got caught with a small, that small amount, you would get a non-criminal $100 citation, mm-hmm. uh, which they would use to fund more treatment services. Uh, yeah, I, I read that article, and I think part of what gets lost in those debates is... They, what they say about that is is instead of you know putting these people in jail, mostly they, they want to give them fines and then they also part of that initiative is to put money into therapies and treatments for these people right so it's it's not just hey we're not going to throw you know, these people aren't criminals anymore. It's sort of like these people are sick and we yes. are going to do something about it instead of locking them up. Well, one of the uh, the drafters of the petition said that what they're trying to do is move substance abuse out of a criminal justice model and right. into the healthcare model where it belongs, which yeah. absolutely, I mean, punishing people for substance abuse disorder is an ineffective way of changing people's drug use behavior. I would say so. And, and they do something like that in New York. I don't know if you're familiar with the drug, drug court, court system yeah. where some of that is sort of what they're trying to do, but it is still criminalized. I mean, you well, still that, face jail. You still jail. have the sword hanging over your head if sure. you don't behave yourself. Sort of demically. Yes, it's going to cut your head above. off. What I, what I th- thought was interesting about this is that the $100 fine would get waived if the person agreed to a health assessment uh, where they get screened for a substance abuse disorder and other health needs by licensed professionals. I mean, if you're carrying around a bag of meth, you probably have a substance abuse disorder. More than some, likely. Some you're not just a casual <laughs> user. It's Friday. Uh, I have my $100 meth. I mean, they, they modeled Friday. they modeled this whole thing after um, what happened in Portugal in the 1990s. Um, Portugal was having a bad heroin uh, problem. Um, they decriminalized all the drugs and boosted uh, treatment and prevention programs. And drug use, um, deaths, 
uh, and HIV infections all have plummeted uh, since then. So wow. hopefully Oregon has a similar uh, result mm-hmm. um, and that the ballot initiative gets gets passed. Uh, I think it's a good idea. Um, yeah, but, it yeah. sounds like that. And I think the problem people have with that is they think that this is somehow you know, tacitly like approving of drug use. And it's like, they feel like if they do, if they decriminalize that somehow this is like the government or local government or the people in charge saying this is okay. And that's really not what it no, is. I mean, that seems like just people being is. willfully misinformed about the science around addiction. I yeah. Mean, and that not to be confused with, I believe there's a ballot initiative in New Jersey. I think that you mentioned to legalize to uh, com- marijuana, which is a completely different mm-hmm. uh, animal altogether. Um, now that is kind of in a way saying this is okay. Don't you think? Um, Different from um, well, decriminalization. Maybe, I mean, except any any bill to legalize uh, marijuana that's been up in any state has a treatment component for other addictions in it. Uh, okay. In addition to um, uh, raising an enormous amount of revenue, I, I think you're going to see. I, I think whether you agree with or disagree with legalization of cannabis, it's going to happen probably countrywide. Um, yeah. There's just with COVID. Uh, decimating budgets for states and cities. I mean, it's it's a, it's a no-brainer in terms of raising revenue. I, sure. I think states would... Start with gambling if we're going to talk about destructive addictions. Yeah. Well, we, uh, legal right. gambling. I mean, people are wringing their hands and clutching their pearls over cannabis, but alcohol is fine, right? <laughs> uh, no problem. <laughs> 40,000 people a year, you know. I love that expression too. Clutching, clutching the pearls. pearls. Yeah. Um, the, the funny thing is like uh, the, about the Oregon... Um, uh, um, ballot initiative mm-hmm. is that they're looking to um, fund some of this increased treatment with with taxes they're going to levy on alcohol, mm-hmm. and the alcohol lobby is outraged. <laughs> this. So it's like pot versus alcohol, <laughs> death match, death uh, match. <laughs> <laughs> Who will kill you first? Yeah, probably there's a separate. Alcohol. There's a separate ballot initiative this year aiming to establish licensed psilocybin treatment centers, making it the first state to allow legal cultivation and sale of mushrooms. You know, um, not to make the show even longer than it is, (laughs) but I think I will. I've been talking to um, my friend Terry online. She's another fellow Dopey Nation uh, who has posted about this, about how how she is a proponent of microdosing psilocybin for uh, anxiety, I think depression, and it's also indicated for PTSD. Um, on the Addictionary podcast, there was a show about um, ketamine and the same kind of uses and how there are they're in trials right now. And right. Um, I'm not like I don't I haven't done mushrooms. I think it was high school. Okay, so we're talking three hundred thousand years ago when the dinosaurs roamed the earth. Actually, that's millions of years. Never mind. And uh, I, I'm not like excited to trip on mushrooms, but I don't think that's what this is at all. What they're talking, the doses that they're talking about are, it's not subtherapeutic, but it's sub effects. Mm. Um, you you don't take the doses they're talking about and like see the walls crying or something. That's a shame. It's, I know. <laughs> take all the fun out of it. But probably you could buy it in whatever dose and then if you really wanted to abuse it, you could. But the idea is not to go trip out. It's, it's that there are some therapeutic uses to a micro dose. Uh, hence the name microdosing. So I something think that interesting. could be a mm-hmm. uh, longer discussion on another episode. Yes, yes. Maybe. I just, uh, we were talking about it and, um, yeah. yes. I mean, we have future guests, you know, I, I have, uh, uh, MSW who's worked in, um, 
medical assisted treatment yes. lined up. I also, have to also say, known as my mother-in-law. <laughs> she's, she's retired, but she's done this for like 30 years. Yeah. One of the, the good parts about doing this show and people liking it is that we're getting a lot of uh, guest possibilities and people want to come on the show and it's really cool. And uh, I'm really hoping to do send them justice and yeah. uh, looking forward to bringing that to you. Some original content. Right. Straight from us. So that's the end of Thank you. the news' recovery. Right. All right, and moving along. Oh, shoot. What was that? Flash of the Titans <laughs> right there, man. I, I got this my board all mixed week up. in weird. Virgin Mary drawing mysteriously reappears. In a strange story out of Mexico, a drawing of the Virgin Mary, which was created using colored chalk back in 2007, has mysteriously reappeared. Pictures of the artwork, which is located in a parking lot in the city of Guadalupe, reportedly first appeared online last week, with many social media users wondering where it had originated. Amazingly, it was ultimately determined that the drawing had been done by an artist during a festival which was held a staggering 13 years ago. Wow. I'm not sure what any of that means. Uh, <laughs> so they, they drew it in chalk on the street. Yeah. 13 years went by. Right. And then it reappeared. Reappeared mysteriously. Mysteriously. Uh, I should probably read these before I put them in the uh, outlines. <laughs> it's the hand of, it was clearly the hand of God. I, I've actually been roundly criticized for doing this week in weird by the same gentleman who's criticized me before. And, um, I'm going to do it because I, I like this Just stuff. Just do it. And Why not? It's weird and it makes no sense, but I it's, don't, uh, it's fun I for me. what the story with that is. I don't know. Yeah. It's, fu- it's fun for me. So that is This Week in Weird, and you already did the, yeah, there it is. Thank you. Uh, so I think that just about wraps us up this week. Yeah, that's it. Wraps it, it up. Uh, please follow us on uh, Facebook. Is it a follow on Facebook? You can follow on Facebook. Uh, click the like button. Click it. Uh, Recovery in the Middle Ages. We're also now on Twitter. So tweet us a twat. You twit. Um, and um, I will post a link to the Twitter in the show notes since neither Nat nor I apparently know what it is. Yeah, no, search for covering the Middle Ages and um, great. And as we say here, proficiat non perfectum. Progress, not perfection. Have a Good great week. week, kids. See you Bye. next time.